Good, good morning. Hope you guys are standing well. I have three new members members introduce, and while while you are hopping on, um, want to welcome Aldemir Shifa. Actually, um, I have a mentor, mentor one on one for a year. A great guy, guy, and very smart. So make sure you guys reach out to him. Also, Delvin Marks and Helbert Zano. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the club. And uh, good morning, Anne. And a couple of Facebook users. I still don't see names. We got Logan back. Uh, hey, good morning, everyone. Good to be back in action. Finn. We'll be reading the questions, and we have Hosh, Hosh with us as well. And all right. Well, we don't have a whole bunch of questions, but it's it's enough um you know uh, uh, get us for 30 minutes but please post your questions in the connect connection so we can tweet after i'm from this list and as usual i'm gonna have uh again read the question question uh so let's do it do it all right uh good morning john mean ed uh we got, we got two ads in the house today michael arthur so carmen everyone uh, we'll start off with their questions. One is from Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, do you recommend doing tenant in the interview every time you have a property under contract? And do you recommend interviewing every single tenant? Well, I interview every single tenant. Uh, I believe that uh, all tenants that are rolling, rolling means going to expire in the next 12 months. Um, if, if it's a very tenant and they're expiring, uh, you know, in, in years, I still want to interview them. But Rule of thumb for me is any tenant that occupies five percent or more or building, um, I want to have a ch- chat with them, see uh, if there are any issues with the building. What is what is the ability of them them renewing? Um, um, are they uh, physically? Uh, oh, it's chopping and lag. Okay. All right, guys. Let me check the mic. One two one two. Um, just turn it to the internal speaker. Okay, let's see if this is better, guys. If the sound is more clear, just let us know in the chat. On the chat. Okay, let's see if this is better. Or I can just yell. <laughs> but how how are you gonna be heard? Oh. Is this better, guys? All right. They're saying much better. Perfect. So any tenant that occupies 5% or more in the building, definitely I want to have a chat with them. And any tenant that's coming up renewal in the first 12 months. Um, That's the two key factors. All right. And then we have a follow-up question from Sean. He said, when buying a property... How do you set up the rents to be paid to you after close? Do you take ownership of the LLC and bank account after close, or is this a property management matter? Uh, well, you don't take ownership of the owner's LLC. You form your own LLC, and then how do you take over rents? You send a tenant rent statement to each tenant. It's an invoice uh, directing them where to pay their rent two weeks before rent is due. And usually on tenant notice letter goes out on the day of closing. 
that also tells them where they're supposed to send their rent to the new owner and the entity information and all that and what do you use depends is it a 12 unit apartment complex or a, a six unit retail center i mean you can use quickbooks uh, i use quickbooks for 20 years before i uh, upgraded to yardy but yardy is expensive i think we pay i don't know a couple of thousand a month uh so for you guys that are starting with a small retail center office building with up to 20 tenants you can easily use quickbooks uh to do your accounting all right our next question is from suraj he said um let's say you have a three to five year lease term with a commercial tenant do you recommend just like residential properties get an annual property management inspection interior and exterior Hmm. Or you don't bother the commercial tenant for the entire three to five year lease term for any inspections. No, on commercial properties, you're not responsible for interior of the property, even doors, windows. Somebody throws a brick, guess who's paying for it? The tenant. Uh, that's how generally the lease is written. Uh, lessor responsibilities are roof, a structure, parking lot, um, and sometimes the AC. Um, leases responsibilities are everything within the space and the utilities. All right. Uh, follow up question from Suraj Who decides the building class A, B, or C? Is it the city, the selling broker, the owner, or is it a particular checklist table you use to determine the building class? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, it's really how the building fares to the other buildings in a submarket some sub markets like downtown yeah everything's built in the 60s so it's not really year built but it's the amenities of the property quality of construction and quality of tenants that are in there really dictates um if it's class b c or a um but more than anything is really the amenities of the property uh, if you got valley you got tenant lounge you got conference uh center uh, to the building building as a gym he has an on-site deli um all those are class a so it really depends how does it fare to its peers in that sub market all right um next question are buildings that have banks as the tenants always considered special purpose entity buildings and also will they be tougher to sell in the future mm -hmm. if the bank vacates um i wouldn't consider them as special purpose buildings um i would say they're tougher to lease um especially if it's a large bank uh with a lot of safety deposit box walking uh, vault and all that is extremely expensive to uh extract from the building you have to you know uh do a lot of demo to really get conversion done uh but yeah, I stay away from banks. A uh, lot of these uh, older banks that vacated, they sit vacant for three, five, six years because of that reason. All right, and then last question from Suraj. When you take over a tenant lease for a property, do you need to only, only uh, I guess, do their lease paperwork? Or legally, would you also need to have the tenant's original lease application, mm -hmm. credit scores, IDs, social security numbers from when they originally applied. I asked this question because I was told by a listing broker that I can only get the lease copy, but no other documents about the tenant. He said it's not standard to ask for the original application and credit scores of tenants. Is this true? Yeah, in general, yes. Um, 
they give you the original lease and any other amendments. They're supposed to give you all the tenant notice letters, all the communication between the landlord tenant. They're supposed to give it to you as part of the lease. Uh, but any back data that tax returns, loan application, all that, usually they don't give you too personal information. But um, I had situations where the seller turned over the entire file that had the original lease, the tenant application, but it's not customary for them to give it to you. All right, next question from Arthur. He said, Manny talks about having an average A cap when considering mm -hmm. properties. Given industrial is a hot commodity and office the opposite today, does the minimum cap rate you want change for each of these assets or would you stay around 8%? Absolutely, yeah, every asset's different, industrial, um, especially, you know, newer constructed with credit tenants, they trade like at a five to six cap, depending on the which sub market office, uh, trades at a higher cap and then retail trades even at a little bit higher cap, depending on the sub market, but every asset class in sub market is different. So it could be a four cap. Uh, for example, uh, the property I sold in Newport beach, I sold it at four and a half cap. And it was 99% occupied, but it was on the water. So it all really is uh, relevant to the sub market and the asset class. All right. And next question. He said, Manny doesn't prefer industrial warehouses, but are there any specific metrics he would look like to see that would consider a second look? For example, what cap rate would you like to see before you consider industrial? Well, I still like, you know, it's not so much the cap rate. Cap rate's important, but for me is what component in terms of value to add um, I see in the property. Because if I can't add value, I'm not interested to buy it. Uh, so I, I would rather answer you with occupancy percentage. So I would like to see anywhere from 60 to 75% occupancy on that property. Um, now the cap could be six, it could be four, uh, that is not as important to me, but I want to run it with the market rents at 100% occupancy and see if I can achieve a nine cap or a 10 cap. That's usually the back of a napkin analysis I do. And again, if it's on the water, I'm not going to be looking for a nine or a 10 cap exit. It's going to be more like a six cap or exit. So it's all relevant. There's too many variants, variables. All right, our next set of questions are from some of our newer members, Honest and Alexis. Good to see you both here. Um, Welcome. They asked, when buying a property that has been poorly managed during the takeover, should you have a property management company that you work with, or do you take on this role yourself with your staff? Again, depends. Uh, if it's a property local to me, I will take it in-house. If it's out of a state or uh, not, uh, and you know a commute I can handle um, on a weekly weekly basis. Then I'll do a third party management. All right, and then the follow up question: When buying a property, is it better to buy at not one hundred percent leased for the chance to grow the income the property brings in, or is it better to buy one hundred percent leased out? No. <laughs> Again, um, you want to buy properties that are underperforming. Um, if you're buying a property one hundred percent leased at market rent. Uh, you're not investing, you're speculating that the economy is going to keep going up, rent's going to keep, keep going up, that's your only bet. But if you buy a property that's 70% occupied 
and the market has average occupancy of 95% or 100%, well, it's never 100%, but let's say high 90s, then you got some meat on the bone, uh, and that's the value add component that I want you guys to look for. All right, uh, next question from Rizwan. Um, he said, my preference is to buy something in the San Diego area, mm -hmm. but overall, he's just having difficulty finding any good deals in each asset classes like that, multi-unit, retail, office, um, and then even single-family homes. Mm -hmm. So he asked, what is your opinion on this? How can I find something in Southern California with a good cap rate and positive cash flow? I have a budget of $1 million to work with. Wow. Rezwan, that's tough to do because the market's been sizzling hot and it's been going up, especially in the single family and multifamily. Um, you know, I would say zoom out and go uh, to other sub-markets in that San Diego County. Um, and you'll be able to find probably a retail center that's a little bit older. Um, and it's probably a mom and pop managed, put some lipstick on it, maybe increase some rents, maybe lease up some of the vacancy. Look for something like that. You're probably going to do a lot better than just buying in downtown San Diego or, uh, you know, the, the, in, in the, on the hot markets, uh, parts of San Diego, I would go out, um, you know, there's Carlsbad. There's a lot of areas where you could still find a value-add retail. All right. Uh, next question from Mustafa. He asked if you can explain the effect of different parameters of industrial warehouses like building height, mm -hmm. gates, et cetera, on the sell and lease price of the property. Oh, that's a, uh, that's a difficult one to answer. So it depends if it's a distribution industrial uh or it's a warehouse manufacturing they're all required different or if it's flex which is very popular right now where you have you know say 10 15 percent office in the front and you have you know 80 to 90 percent warehouse in the back but almost all of them uh the most important part on industry is having dock high that's when you can get semi to back up and just uh, roll out those pallets with your forklift um, or a pallet jack. Uh, dock high is very, very, very much necessary. I used to have a million square feet, um, you know, distribution centers, industrial flex space in Houston. And my dock high spaces were always 100% leased. And the ones that were not dock high, there was ground uh, grade, um, those were tough to uh, basically lease. But and then when it comes to the height, most of these buildings are already built with that uh, height, uh, necessary height. But the dock high for the receiving and shipping is the most important. All right. And then his follow-up question was, can you share how to best evaluate the tenants of industrial properties? How to best evaluate the tenants? Of industrial properties well when uh don't know what you really mean evaluate the tenant uh the tenant based on their credit if it's a regional national tenant uh if they're public company even better all that is public you can check their stock and see how they're performing financially but other than that um if it's a large tenant anchor tenant uh, i would ask for financials uh from the seller and the broker on the tenant I'm sure your bank will ask that too, um, if they're paying substantial 
portion of the NOI. But other than that, uh, I don't know how else to evaluate the tenant. It's just their financials. All right. Um, now we have some questions from Chris Signal. Uh, good to see you. He said, I have a family friend that wants to loan me money to invest in properties that I'm acquiring. How should I go about getting a contract together for terms and conditions on the loan? Mm -hmm. And do you have a template or should I look into hiring a real estate attorney? Well, it all depends if it's secured or unsecured. Um, there is tons of uh, templates online and you can get for promissory note. Looks like that's what you're trying to do. And <clears throat> no need to get an attorney. Uh, there's templates out there for every estate. Make sure you download the one in your estate. There's a lot of regulations on that. Just fill in the blanks. And uh, if it's secured, then I would uh, call First American Title and ask them how much they're going to charge to do a, a note secured by short form deed of trust. So they have to do a deed and a note. All right, and then next question, what are the best ways to find high quality tenants? Brokers. <laughs> so there are tenant reps that all they do is represent brands. Um, and so you got, usually brokers are split in two. You're either a tenant rep or you're a landlord rep. Um, so tenant reps is what you wanna get if you're looking for uh, quality credit tenants. All right, uh, now we have Eric Regal. He said, I'm looking to find a lender for a single story neighborhood retail center. Should I get a loan for my local bank? Mm -hmm. uh, if not, where should I look to find the best loan? You know, if it's a, a small sub market um, and the property is under $10 million, your best bet is your local bank. Um, I'm getting one right now at 333 from a local bank. They're building about for $7 million. Uh, it doesn't hurt to talk to some loan brokers commercial loan brokers, they have access to a lot more uh, credit unions, life companies. But if it's a deal under 10 million, your local lender is probably, your local bank's probably your best bet. All right, uh, next question. What cap rate are single story neighborhood retail centers selling for right now at about 40 to 60% leased? And what should I be selling for once fully leased? Oh, that's a, Trillion dollar question. Depends where it is. Is it in New Mexico or is it in, or in Beverly Hills? <laughs> so cap rates are function of the submarket comps and what's is trading uh, at what cap is trading. So uh, forty to sixty percent. Um, I would say your cap is probably two to three percent uh, in good submarkets. In uh, low density submarkets, you're probably looking at five to seven cap for a sixty percent occupied retail, but Really, it's a huge wide range. I can really give you one cap rate. All right. And then with the increased cost of construction, mm -hmm. what would be a good number to estimate the replacement cost of a neighborhood retail center price per square foot? Again, that depends on the type of construction. Is it retail with brick and glass or is it concrete uh, with glass? Is it two story, one story? But in general, I would say a replacement cost on retail is from $225 all the way to $350. Depends if it's got very fancy awnings, uh, a lot of uh, metal work and metal work. So all depends. Again, it's a big range because you could have, you know, I've seen retail places, uh, retail centers made 
Arab Break and Glass, in uh, very popular in some parts of Houston. Those cost you, you know, 200 to 250 bucks a foot. But if you got a lot of glass, concrete, two-story awnings, um, you're up to 350 a foot. So um, it's very difficult to give you a replacement cost without knowing or seeing a property. All right, by the way, guys, we have a couple more questions that were sent in and then we're gonna be hopping over to the comments. So if you have any questions that weren't sent in previously, go ahead, drop those in the comments and we'll get to those next. Um, our next question is from Zaran. Mm -hmm. After you sold your first strip center in Santa Ana for $1 million profit, can you walk us through how you handled everything after that sell? Uh, the 1031 exchange, cash out, down payment on the next property, and then also if there's anything you would have done differently. Hmm. Well, yeah, that was uh, my best first flip ever. Um, I did 1031 and I started buying, you know, a lot of multifamily in Long Beach. Uh, I used the cash to, you know, write aggressive offers, short-term close. And um, I also purchased a three-story office building, 3700 North Santa Fe in Long Beach, uh, that I also leveraged. Because when you do a 1031, you have to also be mindful of your debt. So you got to carry over the loan, not just your equity, but you got to uh, maintain that, that. Otherwise, it's called a boot. You're going to have a, a partial trigger on capital gains. But yeah, I bought multiple. I think I bought three or four properties with that, uh, with that sale. All right. Uh, now we're going to be hopping over to the comments. And our first one is from Ed. He is looking at a vacant property with rooftop cell equipment um, and asked, do you have any advice on strategy for this building? Is there a way to only acquire the cell tower lease and not the property? Yeah, typically not. Um, I mean, you could, uh, if you wanted to acquire the cell tower, you will buy an easement on the roof, but you want to do the opposite. You want to buy the building and sell the cell tower uh, rights to the cell tower lease through an easement. And depending on who's the carrier and how much they're paying, um, you could use a six cap to figure it out. If it's a good operator, you may be able to get 5.8 cap, but six cap is norm uh, and work it backward. Uh, but you wanna make sure you're not buying a property at a five cap and selling the cell tower at six cap. You want it to be the other way around. Buy a property for seven or eight cap and sell the cell tower lease for six cap and you pick up that Delta. All right, uh, next question from John. He said T-Mobile, by the way. Oh, uh, T-Mobile is good. Next question is from John Dickey. Have you dabbled in Airbnb properties or looked into that area? And what are your thoughts? No, Airbnb, running Airbnb properties, very management intensive is like running a hotel, motel. If there is any new laws kicking within that, um, you know, that county, city, it could, you know, severely impact your business, obviously. And uh, again, more importantly, it's very management intensive. I know there are third party management companies that only deal with Airbnb, um, but I think, I think they take a big chunk out of it, but it's uh, not one I'm interested. All right, and then a follow up question from John. Um, he's looking to acquire his first property and he's wondering if the FHA loan is the best route to go or if there's any other suggestions on better ways to get started. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I love leverage. FHA is low rate, 97% financing. If you're a first time home buyer, absolutely. I would uh, take advantage of that first. All right. And then we got Dean um, asking how much, if at all, do you expect the Fed raising interest rates mm -hmm. to impact commercial properties this year? Well, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do at least four hikes. So 1%. But the key is his uh, comments every time he raised the rates, because that's a telltale sign if he's gonna, uh, you know, kind of stand back and kind of uh, take the wait and see approach, or he's gonna say they feel the market's still hot and they maybe subsequent raises. But my gut says they're gonna do one percent this year and maybe a couple more next year, but. For you know, commercial real estate is going to get affected. People keep going; they keep saying, "Oh, the market's hot; they can absorb two percent." But two percent is a lot uh, when you got cap rates going down, not up. So it's it's like a double whammy. All right. Um, next, we have Ali. He's got a a memory test for you, Manny. He said, "Can you summarize your last ten years of investment? Just saw your office uh, photo from ten years ago." Oh, summarize what my transactions or my garage? <laughs> oh, 10 years. What have I done in 10 years? A lot. Uh, I bought and sold a lot of buildings during the Great Recession. Um, and a lot of the uh, deals actually came to surface in 2010, 2011. So, two, three years lag. Uh, like this building, how about in 2011? But it was absolutely amazing period a uh, lot of amazing opportunities um shops at home depot was probably my best flip it was in lake forest i bought it for 2.7 from the bank and sold it for 9.7 uh four years later so it was uh pretty much 85 percent vacant when i bought it um and i ended up using a hard money lender and, and i only put four hundred thousand dollars down if i memory serves me right and end up making making over six million dollar profit with that four hundred thousand. That was probably my best best flip ever. Um, and then I have bought other properties, but probably I bought more cars than properties. To be honest with you. <laughs> All right, is that it? Uh, we have another question from Lexi. She said, uh -huh. "Any thoughts about buying a building with a CVS or Walgreens in it? And then are these type of rented buildings a good investment?" Absolutely. Uh, so, Lexi, I bought one last August. It was a CVS anchored retail center in Wisconsin. And we have outparcel CVS and we have an offer on it for more than what I paid for the entire, uh, entire property. Uh, we bought it for 4.7 and we got an offer for 4.75, if I'm not mistaken, for just a CVS. Those are awesome deals. If you can buy one at 7, 8 cap. The CBS, you can flip it for a six cap. And um, depending on their, you know, if it's corporate owned, franchisee owned, or how many years they have left on their lease, you could, you know, that investors are super aggressive on CBS uh, and Walgreens. So it's a great way to carve out and do an exit fairly quickly and recoup almost all your money. All right. And then any advice for John on, uh, Really sharing what got you to make the first leap to get to the bank and start making things happen. He said he seems to be struggling and bad, battling 
and maybe scared to make that first leap. Okay, so what what is John trying to buy? A single family home, retail? Uh, he's the one who asked about FHA earlier, so I'm oh. single family. Okay. Um, to be honest with you, I mean, it all depends where uh, you're looking to buy. Some markets have gone up 20, 30% in the past 12 months. And that concerns me because rates are going up. So uh, if you're in a market where you haven't seen a huge spike and you could find re relatively a, a reasonable deal that's a fixer upper, I would pull the trigger and buy it uh, if you can add value again, right? If you can, you know, uh, add an extra bedroom. Uh, it doesn't have a garage at a garage, you know, anything you can do to add value. Uh, you're going to have a little bit of a cushion by doing that, even if the market dips 10, 20%, but don't be afraid. The first jump is always scary, but look to see what you're buying. And if it's reasonable and it's, there's a value add component to it, I would say, go for it. All right. And then, uh, let's see. Tushar asked, is Driven available for monthly workspace? Yes, it is. Come on down. <laughs> yeah, it's upstairs. We have several offices. And I'm contemplating if I want to move Driven over to the new property, I probably will. So we'll, if I do, there's going to be a lot more uh, available space there. All right. Uh, and then John shared he is looking at multi, so two to fourplex. Using the FHA, living out of one of the units, and then running off the rest. Love it. That's amazing. That's what I would recommend. If you can find a multi-unit, up to four units to buy uh, with your FHA first-time homebuyer program, that's fantastic. You're definitely going to do much better than a single-family home. All right. Yeah. And then last question for the day from Arthur. Uh, who would you offer to sell a CVS parcel to, a new investor, or CVS themselves? Oh, well, almost all CBS leases have a first right of, refu first right of refusal in there, um, and they have 30 days to respond to you. That's usually, you know, boilerplate in their lease. But there is tenant, uh, there are brokers that only deal with CBS uh, centers, and that's who we reached out to, to uh, market our center. So very likely you're going to go to, through one of those brokers that sells single uh, credit tenants. All right, I guess that will do it for us today. This was great. I love that you guys are putting uh, more new questions on the comment section. And with that, I uh, want to wish you guys an awesome week. Uh, be safe, be well, and I'll see you guys next week.